the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning. Good morning, Tom, everybody. And last but not least, joining us at the roundtable this week, uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, guys. Morning, Good morning. Bobby. And as is uh, always the case, we start out with uh, our finish the quote where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. In a democracy, dissent is... 
How would you finish this hmm. quote? Is, uh, is required. Or expected. Yeah. Well, pretty Always cool. welcome. Pretty close. Um, the actual quote is, in a democracy, dissent is an act of faith. Hmm. That came from, yeah. that came from uh, J. William Fulbright. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Anyway, one of the one of the quotes that got my uh, got my attention this week was uh, this one: "When we begin to venture into the legislative or executive branch lanes, those of us, particularly in the federal judiciary with lifetime appointments, are asking for trouble." Talia, hmm. I was going to say Roberts. No, but you're awfully close. That was uh, Justice Clarence Thomas reflecting oh, Thursday oh. on the role of the judiciary and warned against judges weighing in on controversial issues that he said are better left to other areas of government. Which is more surprising, hearing something from Justice Thomas or his cautionary <laughs> comments? Yeah, I think hearing something from Thomas may be surprising. That's, that's yeah. true. What's and what's and that's a good comment. But wasn't that said in response to criticism that his wife was involved in some of the political activities that um, have have recently reared up? No, I, I it was it was um, part of remarks he made in a public speaking uh, event. Yeah, yeah. I somehow I tied it to criticisms about his wife's political actions. Yeah, I recall hearing about that, Bobby. I've forgotten exactly what, exactly what she was involved in, but I do recall there were some issues there. Well, yeah. it could easily have been, uh, you know, tied to recent actions by the court itself. Yeah, they sort of go together, don't they? Well, there, there've just yeah. there's just been a uh, a sudden shift, certainly in the area of uh, Roe v. Wade. <coughs> Yeah, that's going to be yeah, a this next year. <clears throat> it seems we have a more activist court from the people who criticize court activism. Yeah, I, I believe Clarence Thomas has been in the background so long. He feels comfortable in this kind of genre to walk out and say the thing that was on his mind because he's criticizing um, a lot of things that um, should have been said in the past, but now he feels more comfortable. Uh, a variety of, of issues that he's talking about that makes sense. And I believe that other people have been hoping that he would make in truth and honesty. Well, he, he was known as Silent Clarence because he asked so few questions during court hearings for, for, most, for much of his career. He's talking about the culture war and things like that, things that need yeah. to be said. We, we, Americans need to know where the justices are on these issues. Yeah, I was thinking last week when people have said that, you know, that they have to be neutral, they can't have any opinions or bias, which, of course, is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, why else would we need nine people or maybe more to render opinions if it was possible for one person to render them without any bias? <laughs> yeah. And, and and why would presidents pick certain kind of justices who lean their way, whether it's on either side of the fence? Yeah. Well, I like his position. I like he's talking more. And, but yet he is upholding the uh, decorum of the courts and the decorum of elected officials. He's not bad. 
He's just coming out and saying things that's on his mind. Well, I think uh, there are probably two things that, that have uh, freed him up to speak a little bit more publicly. Um, one is speculation about his uh, possible retirement at some point in the near future. Right. And the other is that he's part of a much larger majority now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think those yeah, two yeah, things yeah, make him uh, a little <laughs> bit more comfortable. Right, a larger majority of the non-biased people in the court. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you ask any one of them, and, and uh, I, I have not had uh, any U.S. Supreme Court justices, but I have had several Michigan Supreme Court justices on the show, they will always tell you they are rule-of-law judges. <laughs> sure. <laughs> whatever, side um, of, whatever side of the issue they're on. Yeah. Has Clarence ever been um, the uh, Supreme Court justice? I mean, the chief justice? No. 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 No, no in fact, uh, chief justices are appointed as chief justices. Right. Yeah, just, you can right. somebody oh, else, yeah. which yeah. has happened it's, occasionally, but it's just, there's, there's no automatic uh, rise to chief justice. But when one dies in office... Isn't that an opportunity for others to step up? Or, no, the they're, they're appointed. Oh, the president. They're yeah, typically, I got you. Yeah, yeah they're typically yeah. appointed as a chief yeah. justice. Now, the Michigan Supreme Court uh, elects their chief justice from amongst themselves. Yes. <clears throat> That's where yeah, I had uh, confused. You know, Norm MacDonald, I just week the, the comedian, and uh, he had a TV show where he interviewed people. And uh, one of them was Judge Judy. Oh, right. oh I like her. Yeah, did you watch it? Um, I watched it. I have not it. seen really? it. It was interesting about what... No, I didn't see that. Um, well, if you can pick it up on Netflix, it's worth watching. Oh, oh. She was talking about um, Judge Wapner, and um, she, iter- she iterated how law needs to be seen to be flexible enough to fit circumstances. Now, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but it can't be rigid. Um, it has to be. It has to be interpreted flexibly enough to meet the needs of the current case. Is basically what she said. And um, and I think that's probably very true. Why rigid judges uh, who try to apply the judge rigidly? I mean, the the circumstances are are not taken into consideration in a case that they are so rigid on the law that they might not really deliver justice. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to... But that would also depend on the mood of the country, what the country is searching for and needs. And some people will try to uphold that, uh, that tenor of the people. If they can. Well, you know, this, the court the court is also so, is sensitive to to political moods. Remember when FDR tried to pack the court because they were turning overturning all the New Deal programs, and then FDR was unsuccessful. But then the court began to change their mood and all of a sudden began approving New Deal programs. And that was called yes. switch in time to save nine. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, here's another quote that got my attention this week. In Michigan, statewide mandates have been revoked and unfortunately under the leadership of a Democratic governor who has caved to the pressure of a Republican-led legislature and the vitriol and violence which they've fueled. Mm 
Who do you think said that? Hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. No, but I and I and I have to apologize because Elizabeth. I don't Someone have in Michigan. I, yeah, I don't have the person's name, but it was the, a Democratic leader of the Michigan Board of Education. Oh, says the oh, fact yeah. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the state health department have the power to issue a statewide mm. school mask mandate to fight the COVID-19 pandemic and are choosing not to do so is quite troubling. Is the governor well, being more tactical in recent weeks and months? Yeah, the governor, I think, governor, well, I think, well, I think that's true. Yeah, I think she... Yeah, and, and as I say, what it's really doing is turning over all that decision-making to local school boards. And the issue there, as it strikes me, is that local school boards are not medical experts. You know, they, yes, but that's ahead, where Henry. the power is. is in the, the moms they, on the school board will tear this system apart. I, I know, and the school boards are taking heat all over the place yeah. from asking mandates and things yeah. of that nature. Uh, and, Bobby, you got cut off. What, what were I'm you sorry, to say? Bobby. <laughs> well, I am very involved in what's happening with school boards and mask mandates. In fact, I'm doing a lot of research on the enforceability of our Genesee County uh, mandate that was issued a few weeks ago. Um, there, There's a lot of stuff brewing out there, and it's stirring up a lot of hostility. Um, I tend to be an observer of things. Well, I'm also active, but I tend to be an observer of things. And what I'm seeing happening, it disturbs me because I think the people who are against the vaccinations and the masking are people who are not um, following their own interests. These are things that have great health implications. And there seems to be a national leadership that is uh, turning people into almost robotic response um, in order to show the power of that political movement. Um, it disturbs me greatly because the mask mandate needs to be enforceable, and uh, we're trying to determine how that can happen. Well, you have to follow the mood of the people. The people are the ones that change um, the uh, mood of people who are elected to Congress or to responsible positions in states. And I believe the governor has been burned uh, with that, um, <clears throat> with the uh, jobs bill and things like that, putting people out of work. And she's not going to go through that uh, again. And she's going to let uh, trend, trending issues uh, kind of guide her a little bit. Uh, she doesn't you know, have to be up front on all of these issues, but she has to demonstrate leadership, but she shouldn't, she shouldn't have to necessarily take risks. It's a strange commentary on our times that this pandemic has become such a partisan issue. I mean, can you think of anything that really is less partisan than a pandemic? I mean, it's, it's not about the budget, <laughs> not about foreign policy. I know, this right? is the one thing that oh, yeah, should have been able to pull these people together, but every single aspect of the pandemic has become a partisan issue, whether it's vaccinations or masks or mandates or a lot of other details. Well, we've got to take a short break here, but we'll come back and talk about lots more on today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Adder, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. A federal judge wants to know more about a bone scanning facility that measured the lead in Flint residents' body, or bodies rather, before making a final decision on whether to approve a historic $641 million civil settlement related to the uh, city's water crisis. U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy ruled Friday, September 17th, on a motion filed by Dr. Lawrence Reynolds, which asked her to consider new evidence including a state inspection of the facility that used modified handheld bone scan devices that were never intended to be sold or leased for any diagnostic use, including the measurement of lead in human bones. Although Levy denied Reynolds' motion to allow him to file the information in a supplemental brief with the court, she directed Special Master Deborah Greenspan to obtain and file as part of the record for purposes of the court's review of the settlement, the complete file of the uh, Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration inspection of the pertinent facility, as well as any statements made by MIOSHA as soon as they are available. Levy had previously committed to a lesser review of the bone scan operation, indicating that she would look at the MIOSHA code and other materials related to Reynolds' initial objections. How might a closer look at these tests affect the outcome of settlements? Well, it seems to me one issue would be whether or not they're accurate. I mean, I mean, I, again, I don't know the science of it all, but uh, above and beyond the, the health risks, are, are they giving accurate results? Are they over-reading or under-reading the, uh, the lead content in the bones? I, I really don't know the answer. I think the, the problem here is the approval of the process by an authoritative uh, sanction uh, body. I think that's where the problem is. They may be getting accurate answers, but the process is not approved by isn't, the FDA. Isn't the purpose of the bone scan to show that there's long-term damage and that the people who have been harmed might deserve more compensation for the long-term damage, and that's why you need to be sure it's accurate? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think that's the basis for an often a lot of the, the, the financial issues at stake here is the claim that there is long-term damage. So I think that's a key, that's a key element, Bobby. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure the judge is looking at the accuracy in order to determine whether the settlement is fair in relation to any long-term damage. Well, this has been um, controversial, to say the least, um, using this particular... Uh, portable handheld uh, lead detector, if you will, um, because what happens is uh, lead doesn't stay in people's blood, so blood tests don't work. Um, it, lead moves very quickly to bone, and, and then yeah. it can be found in bone. And the thing that was strange about this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, this method was just sort of, I, I don't know who came up with it initially. I think it was uh, one of the law firms representing the, the litigants. But um, there, there is a bone scanning method, 
that is credible, but access to it doesn't exist anywhere close to Flint. Yeah, I read that. As you recall, I went on the, there are two kinds of a bone scan. One is when bone uh, lead is in the bloodstream, and the other is when it gets into the bone. And um, <clears throat> all of us probably have some lead in our bones. But uh, there's no baseline information. We have not, have not been privy to all of the information because we have to know what the baseline is. Um, <clears throat> so the approved method should be able to discern what the concentration of lead is in the baseline and whether it's moving up and down below the baseline. That's what makes it relevant and beneficial. It seems like it shouldn't be hard to detect lead because it's uh, used a lot to shield from um, any kind of rays. In fact, you know, computer systems that were Department of Defense uh, systems were lined with lead so nobody could hack in from outside it across the street. So it seems to me that um, the technology doesn't have to be terribly sophisticated, but it certainly needs to be accurate. Yeah. So remember, these devices were used in mines. These were not supposed to be used for hospitals and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they, were, they weren't meant yeah. for human use, were they? No. Uh, that's my understanding. So that, the approval process, if FDA came out and said, well, we can use these, no problem. The, the conflict would go away. But they haven't made that decision yet. They can be used until somebody tells you they can't be used. <laughs> yeah. Or what would be interesting is if uh, taking a closer look at this equipment, it turns out it can be used that way and becomes a, a, a new, more portable, more affordable way of, uh, of doing bone, bone scan for certain kinds of metals. But yeah. Dr. Reynolds has said, he's made the case. He says, hey, you can't use this stuff. Uh, it's not approved. But is, well, it, but is he saying it's not approved or it's not effective? Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, you, you I, could that's, right. see, that's, that's the question, yeah. Henry, that, uh, yeah. that's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this. We may see 10 years from now that cities all over the country are checking people for lead in their bones using this uh, technology. Well, yeah. that's how technology moves. It, it, it is. It is. We've, uh, we've approved things uh, under far stranger circumstances, I think. Yeah, and the people who, um, who have manufactured this will make a lot of money. Well, no, but it's was... benefiting humanity. It's, uh, the money is secondary. What is benefits the cause of human beings? It's I was going to ask a sidebar question. Were there any health risks to using this? I thought there was some kind of health concerns when this was used. Uh, I, does anybody know any more about that? Nothing uh, definitive that I recall, Paul. Um, I, I know there were some people who raised that question, but I don't think anybody had any answers. There were no accusations of you know, using this equipment is causing cancer or something. You know, they, there was nothing like that in any of the news coverage that I've seen. Well, it seems that we've uh, been disconnected here a little bit. Um, I think the stream has 
dropped momentarily. Hopefully it'll come right back. Um, in any event, uh, I have a, another question we'll get into. Are we, are we back or did people uh, hang up the phone? Let's see. Is everybody really there? how it measures the lead. Sorry. Well, usually lead is uh, detected by a gas chromatograph. Oh, okay. Back. And or um, um, other methods that they dissolve it in a liquid and they put it through the gas chromatograph. And when it detects lead and light beam sees lead, it will beep, it will peak right at that point. I guess, it depends upon whether they're taking, I guess it depends upon whether they're taking a picture of the bones or are they measuring something, as Henry said, that sends off a signal. Yeah, I, I don't know the mechanics of how the device works, but I I, I, uh, I, I thought someone was said, particularly for kids, I thought there was a concern about the uh, some side effects to the device. But again, I, I, don't, I, I don't know any more details beyond that. Well, yeah. I re remember the old um, machines that did a picture of your feet. In the oh, yeah, I do. I remember those things in the shoe stores. That's right. <laughs> and those and were they, quite dangerous yeah, they, later. They stopped using them because they were sending all kinds of rays through your feet. Yeah, I was. Uh, no, I, I recall yeah, that, you were that those were common bone. things in shoe stores years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, radiation <laughs> isn't. Good. Yeah, I know I'm older than bones. Henry, but um, I thought he might remember. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't remember getting my feet. Oh, I, um, no, I recall. I recall going to a couple of shoe way. stores, and you could you'd put your feet under this little device, and you could see see whether or not the shoes fit. It was a it was an X-ray machine of some kind, I believe. Yeah. But, yeah. but as, as Bobby says, he used radiation, and it was these were fairly dangerous things in wide yeah. use. Well, I'm you know, another thing is that. Your body will tell you whether they, in a couple of days, your body will tell you whether the shoes are too tight. <laughs> Many women. <laughs> That's why I have nerve damage in one of my toes. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? No, I, I recall shoe stores that I used to, go, used to go to regularly as a kid. I had those things in the store. As a, and they were, they were really kind of a novelty sales device to... To, to try and sell you some more shoes, but they they were fairly common. I'm going to say in the 1950s, probably, maybe yeah. the early 60s. Well, I'm glad somebody finally put their foot down about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I I got cut off there, there briefly. Um, the um, the stream dropped, which cuts me off from everything. And, Fortunately, it was it was brief and it picked right back up again. So we carry on. Burton and Genesee. We solved the world's problem, so there's no need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Burton with our feet. <laughs> Bert, right. Sorry. Burton and Genesee County officials have broken ground on a new water storage tower that's not only expected to improve water pressure and reliability, but to also become a part of the city's skyline. The new light blue steel tower located off Center Road south of East Atherton Road will be 170 feet tall with the capacity to store 1 million gallons of water. A portion of the county's American Rescue Plan Act funds, $2 million in fact, 
will help pay for the project with the remainder being financed by the county treasurer's office. What it's going to do specifically is help us in case we lose power and improve water pressure for the whole area, according to County Drain Commissioner Jeff Wright in a uh, groundbreaking ceremony Friday, September 17th. Is this a wise use of uh, rescue plan funds? Can I ask a question yeah. here, guys? <clears throat> now look at this. There are two issues that are on the same track heading toward each other. One is that the city's population is dropping and predicted to decline to 77,000 by 2050. Your question is a good one. Should that money be used more wisely somewhere else? Well, this is the city, city of Burton, not the city of Flint, right? I, I know, but still, it's area money. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. I think it impacts on the whole county, probably, but but the issue is water is so valuable, we absolutely have to have it. I mean, we yeah, learned that very well state. in the city of Flint here. Everybody, and and we have minimum dollars, and there's only such mo so much money in the county coffers, no matter how you look at it. And Tom asked a good question. Should that money be best spent uh, for this, or should we... Uh, wait and see how the system that we just completed with new dollars uh, is going to work over the next 20 years. This is you, not an urgent thing. You but, know, let me ask a question here. I mean, this maybe we should think more and more about a county-wide water system. We've, we've fractionalized it so yeah, much. Here's the something city like of Burton doing its own thing. we got Flint doing its own thing, and we got the yeah. Nandi out there as well. Wouldn't we be wiser and maybe far more financially efficient to simply have a countywide system that was well run at the top? You got well, you no know, argument for me. I yeah. saw the article, but I didn't read it um, thoroughly enough to see. Is this water only going to be used by the city of Burton, or is it available regionally? It, it's uh, it, it will help to feed the area. I I think it's it's a backup yeah. to um, yeah. Karanandi. Then it's regional more than just the city oh, of yeah. Burton. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. More it's, it's, it's If you're going to have a water tower, you have to locate it someplace. It's it's yeah. meant to be um, in place of a a massive power failure that affects uh, the pumping of water, um, or a break in the line that cuts water <laughs> off to the area, and it's it's meant to be for. You know, a couple of days, a few days, you know, to to um, uh, work in case of uh, like a, like I say a, a major power outage or something, and and then it. And I thought it was interesting as I was reading the article about it. Um, the water tower system like that doesn't use electricity. <laughs> it it yeah. drops the water by gravity. Yes, it's a gravity feed water system. Yeah. Yes. And you know, with all of the hackers coming in and disrupting, like our oil, uh, the oil pipeline, and uh, other kinds of vital issues, maybe this is not a bad investment. Yeah. No, I, I don't uh, think that. What's bad about this is that <clears throat> the leaders in the three communities, including Carrie Gandhi, they should get together and prorate 
the distribution cost of water in this case. So everybody's expected to pay, and you get rid of the politics that's coming down the road where communities divide up and well, one of the one of the problems like I have is this is rescue plan dollars. Well, what were the rescue plan dollars intended for, and and does this qualify as one of those projects? Um, you know, the, it just seems like when we we look at these public works projects, um, they all have a cost attached to them. I think everybody understands that, and whether it's a wise investment or not. It becomes a question of whether we have the money, and is it okay to just get the money anywhere? You know, this reminds me of the, remember the tobacco settlements that all the states got some years ago? Yeah. And, yeah. and that money was used for all kind of things that went well beyond tobacco-related issues. Yeah, and in Shiawassee, they gave themselves bonuses. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we were on that the last week or two. I know. It seems to me that... Um, what we're talking about here is what we often talk about, which is priorities and investment. You know, what what investment priorities does your community have when you have money and you need to know where you, you most can use it? You know, where is it most valuable to be used? Well, well, I like what Paul just brought up. He says, shouldn't this, shouldn't we all get together regionally, accept responsibility for this new station? and pay our coordinate reasonable amounts for the operation and management and completion of this project. You know, I I think uh, as we look ahead, we're going to have to, because money is really drying up. And Paul brought that out again. You know, in terms of the water, what strikes you here is that if you... If you cross cross the street going from Flint to Burton in various areas, your water bill will either triple or be cut by a, by two thirds, depending on which side of the street you're on, whether you're in Flint or in Burton or a few other areas around the the borders of Flint. So the pricing of water too is very very ineffective around the area. Yeah, that's that patchwork of of um, overlapping jurisdictions and yeah. government. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. be darned. We're talking socialism here. Let's spread the cost. <laughs> yeah, let's spread the cost <laughs> because we all benefit from it. Oh, Henry, yeah. you old socialist. <laughs> no, I'm not a socialist. Believe that, but I believe in everybody paying their fair share. Right. <laughs> I didn't say give taxes. I said the fair share. You're just a secret Bolshevik, Henry. We know it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I want to know what organization you belong to. <laughs> Well, I, I believe in everybody paying the share, the schools and stuff like that. If you use them, you pay for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you benefit from it, you pay for it. Mm-hmm. Pass it on to, to each, rich man. To each according to their need and from <clears throat> each according to their means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I said it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, uh, I I was going to move on to something from Lansing, but I think I'll, I'll squeeze in a little something from Paul's list that I didn't have on my list. And he uh, he always sends me an email on uh, Tuesdays with uh, a few bullet points. And he brought up the fact that uh, the city council election campaigns are pretty well underway, that election coming up in November. And there was a, a write-in event this past weekend for candidates running as write-ins. I think there are three or four 
there's at least four that I'm aware of, and there might be a fifth. I'm not quite sure of the list myself yet. I, 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 I went to one there of those rallies. There are, in fact, five. There are five. Okay. Yeah. And okay. Uh, I, I, I don't have all of the arrangements completely set, but next week, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I am scheduling all of the candidates, including the write-ins. Oh, great. The first, great. second, and third uh, wards will be on Tuesday. The uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth will be on Thursday. And the seventh, eighth, and ninth will be on Friday. That's, uh, that's next week. And, and, and I'm pretty close to confirming with everyone. And those, of course, will be in, be in the archives as well for, for voters to listen to. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. such a good service that you do. It really you know, is. No, it's very valuable. Well, I it had to is. move it up I have a talked little to earlier. about running for office, and I said the most important thing is to be able to talk to the voters, and a forum of some sort it is really needed. It really is. You know, I, I, I went to the forum on Saturday for the write-ins over at Kersley Park, and almost nobody showed up. There were two two candidates had tables, and they did a good job there. But in terms of voters, at least when I was there, there was very few people who came by. And I think they they they, were, they planned on having a five hour uh, meeting a meetup in at Kersley, and they left after about two hours and went somewhere else. Went to the first ward, I believe. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, there was a very very minimal turnout. Kind well, of you know. The League of Women Voters used to do a lot of the political forums, and they yeah. discovered that um, that the people that showed up were generally family, campaign staff, and maybe a few local activists. And so it wasn't really that valuable educationally, so they started doing the video interviews and having them on the website, and you know, people then can find out what they need to know, which is why the archives are good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and they will each each day um, the show, uh, like today's show, for example, will probably be archived within less than a half hour after the end of the show. Yeah, and so it you know it'll be available. Like if somebody wanted to hear the first hour interview this morning with um, um, Ada Ferrer about uh, her book. Uh, Cuba and American history. Interesting interview. Yeah, I heard parts of that this morning as well. And if oh. you if you wanted to go, you know, back and hear the whole interview, it'll be up there today. And yeah. uh, and and if you want to go back and pick up interviews, you can. They're 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 stored on the archive hour by hour. So if you know the date and the hour of the uh, interview you're looking for, or if you just want to scroll through and and pick up various ones of interest. Well, that was a, would, a fun little plug. I, I have a quick question. Would the candidates themselves be able to link into that archive so that they could uh, refer to it on their own website or their Facebook page? Yeah. Yeah, they can take the link and, and uh, share it to their page. Yay, that's have, really good. I have a lot of Great. authors that you know that write me after an interview and ask for the link for that very reason, and and I send yeah. them a link. But but they can do that themselves. They can just copy the link to their page. Anyway, we got to take a short break. We'll come back and go to Lansing when Armchair Politics returns.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now.
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our political roundtable. Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined this week by Bobby Clayton Walton. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Republican legislative leaders have a broad agreement on the terms of the next state budget, according to a news release issued late Wednesday. New details of the likely more than $60 billion deal were immediately uh, released, but the uh, agreement in the works for months ensures the state avoids a government shutdown when the financial year ends at the end of September. Are the Democrats and Republicans in Lansing playing better together? Yeah, they're better than what they were. Remember, we, we were very much divided, and it looks like we're, we're moving in the right direction anyway. It's difficult to do, but uh, it must be done. At least on the budget, they have done this occasionally. That's, for some reason, that one issue, even before, had been one of the few issues where they could actually grudgingly get together. Yeah, do you think it's because there's probably more money available right now? That, uh, that could, could be. be. That, that could, could be. be. Yeah. Another thing that occurs to me is, is whether or not uh, former Governor Rick Snyder gets any credit for... Uh, doing a better job of, of managing the budget and the passing of the budget. Well, if that, he that helped raise the bar suit. a I mean, little he, bit he was, for all He was a numbers faults. crunching guy, and that, that's what he, he delivered on. And that was also his weak point in terms of the Flint water crisis, the, the, the boiling everything, everything down to the last nickel and dime. But, but yeah, Snyder was a, was, a, was a numbers cruncher, and, and, and in that area, give him credit. Well, you know, and and I I really think that people are just uh, exasperated. To they want to see things change. They want to find hope in the future. They want to find a vision of stability, and we're not seeing any of that today. All of these various cultural groups are at each other's throat over the resources, whether it's money, water, space, land. Um, and then we got our um, foreign policy problems, and people want to see some of that stuff kind of get resolved. And we're not resolving it because we're fighting each other. I was um, watching John Meacham yesterday being interviewed, um, and of course he writes all of the books about history and what's happening in our country, and, um, and he said that our nature... And he's probably right. And he went back to Thomas Hobbes. Remember, Henry, when yes. we first met yes. <laughs> Thomas Hobbes? Yes, about, Thomas uh, Hobbes. Is a... Yeah, man <laughs> in the state. He laughed at this old person. I know. Man in the state of nature. And he talked about the fact that our, our sort of basic instincts of survival are coming to the fore now. And yes. that our government and our civilization are supposed to keep those things in some check and in some order. But... He sees that um, they're sort of bubbling to the surface right now. You know, I, you know, Bobby, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw a sign of that just the other day in a kind of a curious way. It's at the grocery store looking at the magazine rack, and I was struck that there were several magazines dedicated toward 
the survival life of, you know, packing away food, getting guns, hiding away in a cave someplace, that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, these are, these are regularly published, I guess, presume monthly magazines that tell you how to run a survival operation. As uh, much as I listen to the forum here, the roundtable, <clears throat> I am still concerned that we're close to where we were before the Reformation and uh, the political wars that killed millions of people. And, I, and as I look at this and compare where we are in the United States today, black Americans have it much better than many of the people of Europe. They were assassinated. They were killed at random. And they were, uh, uh, it was a terrible time in the world. And uh, here we are going over our cultural diversity here. But it was nothing like what has happened in the past. And I think that many people are ashamed by that and don't want to see that happen here. Uh, you know, and we have to be cognizant of that. Well, I hope we prevail. Uh, there was an interesting article, which I haven't finished yet, on the critical race theory in the New Yorker magazine. And uh, the article was written by Jelani Cobb. And he makes the argument that the the critical race theory actually shows how liberalism has really failed uh, the people of color. Because we required the integration of schools and the, the so-called um, equality of everyone, that what we've done is set up the system so that instead of uh, people having their own wonderful schools that were doing a really great job of educating children, we closed those schools down and forced them into the public schools where they're not doing well. Alan so, Keyes made that same argument at a Lincoln Day dinner in Flint over 30 years ago. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. I don't know, um, ex I haven't finished the article yet, but I think this is something we really need to look at without having our emotions tied up in it. Well, well, there's uh, something to, that's said. You've got to remember, we were a constitution. Our government was a constitution. Because we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. All men and women, women and men, are created equal. Thank you. Birth, Thank you. Okay? Uh, but, uh, but guess what? And we were, we were, other countries looked at us and how we treated our subjects here. And they said the weather of the United States is no better than the rest of us who killed millions of people uh, without justice and without due process. And uh, so it's a good thing that we had this discussion over critical race theory. All we have to do is just admit it did exist and move on. You know what I, I think it's worth noting that the critical race theory is it's, it's one thread of history. It's not the whole story, but it's an important part of the story. Yes. In the same way that military history is or political history yes. or art history, none of those I are think. the whole story, but they're all part of the larger picture. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, that's, and I that's, think go ahead. I was talking to some friends uh, after church Sunday, and I said, I'm a very slow thinker. I want to know more before I make up my mind where I fall, and I don't know enough yet. You know what I ha what I haven't seen um, it, that I think would be interesting, and in fact, this could be a, a series for Paul in East Village Magazine, is uh, a rewriting of the uh, the country's organizing documents, politically correct. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> and, and to, I think you're wicked, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, I was the one who wanted to collect a bunch of those I voted stickers and run around and stick them on headstones. And, uh, That's right. I, <laughs> and one of the but, things that we, we but, have to really begin to realize as a nation is that conflict is always around us. We have to figure out how ways that we live together. We can live with conflict, but we don't <laughs> have going to back, destroy. Go back to Thomas Hobbes. Go back to Thomas Hobbes. Go back to Thomas yeah. Hobbes. But, right, guys, the Leviathan. Yeah. but that, yeah. there is a way that we live with each other. And in the United States, we have tremendous amounts of resources. That's why we became the, the great America that we are. To Bobby's point about, you know, gathering information and vetting, you know, before you make a decision, don't just, you know, react to the first bumper sticker or meme that yeah, you see. Right. And, the, you know, I, I so often quote the television show West Wing, and there's a scene where the chief of staff has just been given news that there may be a positive test case for... Um, mad cow disease in the US and he knows this is this is a very serious situation and the first thing he does is he turns to his staff and says find somebody to teach me about this yeah mm -hmm. I, I don't know enough you know I know there's a problem but I don't know anything about this teach me about this and, and mm -hmm. you know, that was one such of my a favorite cool quotes thing. is the one that Chris Matthews used to use is, tell me something I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I, used to, I used to have a big box of Oreo cookies on my desk, and I would tell people when they would come by they could have one if they would tell me something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I couldn't do that. That would cost me a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be going through a lot of Oreo cookies. Uh, Funny. <laughs> well, we've got about a minute and a half until the, the break at the top of the hour, so I really don't want to start this this next piece yet. Um, any any. Very quick comments about the uh, about the city council campaign and the fact that there are five write-in candidates. You know what strikes me is that and at in least two a words, couple of the write-in candidates are, are doing a, a a larger campaign than normal. Mostly write-in can candidates are are very half-hearted and very unsuccessful, but at least a few of them are putting together what seems like substantial and maybe fairly credible campaigns. Whether they'll be successful or not, I really don't know. It's a tough thing to do. But uh, it seemed like a few of them are, are doing, putting, a, putting a, a much bigger effort into it than they have in the past. Well, you've got but two, I think two wards where there's only one candidate on the ballot. But most candidates who go decide to run for political office never does all the hard hard work that the framers of the Constitution did. They went back to Greeks and studied them. What were their weaknesses? They went to Rome and studied them, and and they extracted all of the weaknesses out of the process. But whatever they framed in Philadelphia that one summer in seven August of 1787, uh, well, they put it together with uh, good rationality behind it. It was they used the. Uh, 
the mathematical relationship that pull all of this together and the philosophical. I got to pause. I've got to pause it here because yes. we're going to break for uh, yes. show ID, but we'll be back with the second half right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.